Welcome to this week's episode of The Haber Show. I am really excited about this one. The playoffs are underway. The chess match has started, and what a week it's been. Thought it'd be a perfect time to bring on Troop.com's David Thorpe on the show. He's a former ESPN analyst. I call him Coach. He's a former scout and skills trainer for basketball players such as Udonis Haslam, Kevin Martin, and Corey Brewer. We used to pod together on the regular, and now he's providing expert NBA analysis at TrueHoop.com, as well as training NBA players at ProTrainingCenter.com. Thorpe has worked with NBA teams, NBA players, and doing that for a long time, and he has an uncanny eye for the X's and O's, as well as finding the spirit of the game. He's kind of like a basketball psychologist in a way. We'll talk about James Harden, whether Ben Simmons can be MVP, We'll talk about the Warriors' Achilles heel and how to defend the three-point line in today's NBA. It's all about space, as I wrote this week in my column that you can find on NBCSports.com slash Haverstro. I'm excited you'll get to hear Coach Thorpe in this space. And speaking of this space, did you see that former Haverstro guest David Griffin was hired to run the New Orleans Pelicans? Yes, it's true. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and you'll hear why the Pelicans thought so highly of him. Smart guy. It's an incredible opportunity for him with Anthony Davis on the roster for now, just for now. And on Wednesday, he opened up his press conference with his usual conviction and emotion. He's a leader, no doubt. But one thing I want to hit on before we get to Thorpe, this idea that Anthony Davis might not leave after all. It's something that Griff brought up in his opening press conference. And there's a lot of reason to believe that Griff has enough experience with Rich Paul, AD's agent, um, that I think Davis changing his mind and staying in New Orleans, that's a real scenario and it's not likely, but I think it's a real non-zero chance. What I'll add is that even before Griff took this job, there was a belief inside the Pelicans organization that this could last until next season, that you haven't seen the last game for Anthony Davis in a Pelicans uniform. I was told that this may not have been his last game. um, And I laughed at the time and then Griff was hired. And then it started to really, the wheel started to turn because, you know, LeBron James, his agent, Rich Paul, Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, their agent, Chris Paul in Cleveland. um, Griff was the general manager there, the championship general manager. So now I think it's a legit possibility that Davis plays again for the Pelicans. He can still be moved at the deadline or in midseason. I think that's probably what's going to happen here. But the bottom line here is that the Davis saga is not over. Not at all. Griff got LeBron a title in Cleveland against the 73-win team. He has worked miracles before, and he could do it again in New Orleans. So without further ado, let's get to David Thorpe. Talk about the playoffs before someone hires him to a front office. My favorite There is no one that ranks higher on this list. My favorite tank top mixologist who loves watching Seinfeld. It is David Thorpe. What's going on, coach? Oh, thanks, Tom. I do appreciate that. Uh, (laughs) I don't see a lot of Seinfeld anymore. It was easier when the kids were really little. But uh, I think I caught two episodes in the last few weeks. And I always think, and both times I was stretching. At my age, you really need to stretch. Uh, I thought, God, I wish I could go back to Washington every night. But... But I can't. But nonetheless, I do like to mix drinks once a week, and I do wear tank tops every day, so we're good. And you also watch more basketball than anyone I know, and we're a week into the NBA playoffs. There's so much chess going on, and I wanted to bring you on because no one knows chess better on the basketball court. And I'm watching this Rockets-Utah Jazz series, and man, I thought it was going to be a bloodbath. Seven games, back and forth, it was going to be crazy. And what it's been is an absolute rout. And we've arrived at this place where James Harden is so freaking good at basketball that defenders are opting to sit on his right hip and almost play behind him. Ricky Rubio is defending him, kind of what Eric Bledsoe and the and the Milwaukee Bucks did earlier this year. But we've reached this point, coach, which I didn't know we'd get to, but def- defenses are so terrified of the three-point shot now, whether it's James Harden or J.J. Redick or Kevin Durant or Steph Curry, that they'd rather defend totally opposite of what we've all grown up doing, which is stay in front of your defender. Between your your or stay in front of your, your guy, between your guy and the basket. And now you're seeing Ricky Rubio sitting on James Harden's side or behind him to entice him 
to go to the basket and it hasn't really worked. They've gotten blown out in the first two games of this series. James Harden only has eight free throws in two games. He hasn't really used his free throw attack that he's so known for, and he's still dominating. So my question to you, Coach, is how would you defend James Harden? And are you surprised that the attack that Utah has taken, given that step-back three-pointer, you called it, is the greatest offensive weapon in decades? Yeah, I did. Uh, first of all, I, agree, I agreed with your sentiment. I thought it would also be a seven-game series. These were the two best teams, not the last few weeks, but the last few months of the season. Uh, Utah and Houston, in fact, two years in a row, uh, Tom, they've been the best two teams in the last you know, few months of the season. Uh, you know, Utah had that great run last year. And I didn't necessarily think Utah would win a game in Houston. I, I, I thought they would win three games. I don't really care where. Uh, you were the first guy really to mention a couple of years ago how home court advantage was largely mitigated in compared to years past because of the three-point shot. And, and, and now it's kind of flipped a little bit because it seems like Houston's just unbeatable at home because they shoot so well. So you're asking me an impossible question. I know, I know you know that. You were right with the first time. Rubio, uh, Rubio's sitting on his, his left hip because he's forcing him right. That's, that's decision yes. one. Yeah. Is, is if he has to make a choice, he'd rather force him to his right. This is not the first time James Harden has seen that. And, and I want to I give you a quick side note, because I know you'll appreciate this as an ACC guy. When, when J.J. Redick was in college at Duke, uh, I thought he'd one day be starting for a playoff team because, and I, and I even wrote this back, back in those days, I actually had a blog. I wasn't any of his yet. Uh, I just wanted to write. I had no idea it would ever work for anyone ever as a writer. I was a coach and a businessman, but I said, he's going to, my reasoning in part was there's no defense he hasn't seen in the ACC and he destroyed the ACC. So there's nothing that he hasn't seen. And that makes you better almost by evolution. Harden's the same. There's nothing Harden hasn't seen. I don't know that anyone has committed to taking away his step back three like Utah has, which is why I suggested months ago was the best weapon we've seen since the Skyhook and probably more valuable than the Skyhook because you get an extra point for it. Uh, he, he, so we've seen everything else, but his skill game and his alertness and his brilliant quick thinking allows him to make decisions instantaneously to read what's going on. As it turns out, what Utah is doing isn't so hard to read. They're, they're basically trying to run him into Rudy Gobert. Yep. So think of it like a, almost like a trap that you're setting, but the, but the victim knows the trap is coming. And he can see him, he's seven foot four or whatever he is. So, uh, and then what they do is they, they, you know, Houston does not play typically with five out, meaning five guys outside the three-point line. Right, right. They play four around one, and the one guy is what we call the dunk spot, which is basically any position within the, near the basket close enough. It can, it can even be behind the backboard where you're just one big step in to dunk the ball. So we call those, those areas the dunk spots. And so they put typically Clint Capella right in the dunk spot. And so the Rockets like to have one guy, we, we like to say, on the naked side. So he's by himself on one side on the wing. And the guy guarding that guy on the wing has to drop down to take away the dunk spot guy. Well, why is that? Because Rudy Gobert has to leave him yep. to offer help because Rubio is forcing Harden to drive uncontested to the rim, giving up a two for the, for the step back three. And so this is the problem is Harden reads it so fast. I think it's a flaw in strategy by Utah. I don't think it's that hard to read. We're seeing a number of teams play this way, and, and I don't think the defense are working all that well. Uh, people are crediting the Clippers for doing this against the Warriors, uh, and yes, they came back from down 31, but it wasn't like Golden State couldn't get great shots no. and hadn't been scoring a bunch. They, they just missed a bunch. I, that's my, my uh, piece came out today on that. Uh, it was mostly defense that caused them the trouble. So, so to get back to answer your question, it's not a simple answer, but I would start with this. I wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be playing behind him and giving him a runway to the rim, that's for sure. I would try to force him right. I would definitely always try to make sure I have a very long-armed defender, tall with long arms, to force him right, and then when he goes to a step back, or in some cases he'll kind of step sideways to the right, which is what we call it a step sideways, and just try to contest as best he can. I would live with that uh, and, and maybe not help so much on anyone else uh, and then ask Gobert to kind of play in no man's land. You, you're just risking getting a lob dunk, and you're risking giving Harden a, run, a runway layup. 
but but uh, I think and then I'd mix it up a little bit with some traps. Phoenix tried to trap them right in the end of the season. That's the game where Houston had 27 threes. Yep. They ran they ran an early double team to him and he crushed it. So you got to keep him guessing, which I guess is the best answer I can give you. And I'll give you one last thing because I've been talking long enough. When Dirk Nowitzki was in his prime, uh, he 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 accepted fadeaway long twos back then, and because he they were layups for him. And so I was helping Udonis Haslam, as you know, that was like my first guy. And I studied I studied Dirk a lot, and I said to him, if you play him straight up. He's going to take those fadeaway 18-footers, and he's never going to miss. You can't. You're tiny. You're six foot seven at best. And so what you need to do, and this is something that he used in the, in the 06 playoffs, is you've got to change up how you defend him, sometimes on his left, sometimes on his right, sometimes close him out hot, sometimes do a slow contest, uh, which is how the Spurs have been guarding Jokic, a slow contest. Make him think. I don't know that it worked or not, but uh, that's what I would do with Harden. What I wouldn't do is telegraph what I'm doing, and, and he's just too good. He sees what's coming, and he's too skilled. So for those who are wondering at home, why are they pushing him right? Well, I ran the numbers. According to Synergy, um, you know, he's gone right a thousand times over the last four seasons. He's gone left about 844. What that tells you is it's not necessarily that he's not comfortable going right. A lot of teams are pushing him right. Um, right. And... The percentages here this season going right on an ISO. So he ISOs more than anybody in the NBA, more than anybody we've probably seen ever. Um, Kobe, Allen Iverson, Michael Jordan. Uh, more than some teams sometimes, I bet. Yes. Opposed to it. Yes. Um, and he's yeah. a single single handedly just an ISO monster, which is like, you know, some people in the NBA have said, I don't think that Mike D'Antoni's got a, you know, is happy coaching this team because a lot of the principles go against his his idea of ball movement. And so I think Stan Van Gundy on this very podcast said that, which is he knows that this isn't Mike D'Antoni's brand of basketball. And I would push back a little bit and say the spread pick and roll, the spread pick and roll, exactly what they're doing is so it's it's D'Antoni basketball is you spread the floor. You have Amari Stoudemire set the screen and then, man, it's a it's a terror guarding that because the P.J. Tucker that first half was an absolute st- – I mean, yeah. I have it in my notes, just surgical, surgical, it surgical. Was. It right. was unbelievable watching. Every time they changed up, Donovan Mitchell – and I'll get to the numbers here eventually. Donovan Mitchell was switched on to Harden. The first time that Donovan got on Harden, Harden, as soon as Donovan Mitchell put his hand on him, Harden rose up and got a three-shot foul. As yep. soon as he put a hand on him, Harden already knew this is going to be three points automatically. The next time Ingles went on, the next time O'Neal, all these guys, they got absolutely put in the torture chamber by James Harden. It was unbelievable to watch. He's so good offensively. But the reason why they're, sh- they're showing him right is obviously he's left-handed, but the points bear it out. So his efficiency going right-handed or, or right drives, right. 98 points per 100 possessions. When he goes left, it's 112. So you might think, okay, that that margin, is it that big? Yes, it is that big. If you do it over many, many possessions over a game, that's huge. So 98 versus 112, it's a little bit more even throughout his career. But nowadays, Utah has the right idea is we got to figure out a way to get him away from what he wants. And what he wants to do is go left and he wants to step back. So let's take that away. But I think they got to throw two bodies at him. They have to do that more. A lot of times in the first two games, that's when he ran into trouble. He's got a few turnovers here. And and usually they're when he has to jump pass out of a situation, out of a trap. I think they need to do that a little bit more. And I kind of just feel like, Coach, if you're Quinn Snyder, don't you have to trust your defense? Like, what got you here? So, great question. Uh, I kind of assumed he thought he was playing with house money on the road, in a sense. Like, we're probably not going to win anyway. Let me just see uh, what can work. Now, I don't know that he should have stayed with it as long as he did. I was really surprised after the first quarter they kept doing it because it was just so easy for Houston. Like, as easy as anything I've ever seen them score, including against the bad teams. Uh, But I agree with your sentiment that they need to send a second guy sometimes. They've got to make some decisions, you know, systemically. Who are we going to rush off of? Are we going to leave Gordon? Are we going to leave Tucker? Uh, when you get to the bench, I mean, House hit that first three. He missed, I believe, his next four. 
Um, you know, in any Austin Rivers, you've got to make shoot the perimeter shot. I think he made half his yesterday, but that's not something you typically expect. Mm-hmm. Gerald Green, I don't trust him. So when you get to the second unit, uh, you can you can send a second guy, but you can't do it when he's standing still reading. You've got to do it on the fly, and you've got to mix up your calls, which I do think they'll do in Game Three. I mean, they don't have a choice really. So yeah, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to scrap it. But did you see Kevin Durant's? interview regarding what the Clippers were doing with top locking. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I'm lucky enough. And I know, you know, this, I get a chance to talk to NBA players all the time, you know, almost on a daily basis year round. They're so much smarter than what anyone would ever realize, except for anyone in the business like I am, that isn't talking to them on the record. You typically do both. You know the guys interviewing on the record are way smarter. They just don't want to give you anything. This was a rare time where you, you got a chance to, to hear, everyone got a chance to hear what I hear. And I know you know this, Tom, because like in Miami, you were so knee-deep into all this kind of stuff. But the, the level of intellect, it, it blows away than most college coaches, in my opinion, especially when you get to years four, five, six, and beyond with NBA players that are asked to do a lot, not role players. But it uh, doesn't mean the role players can't be just as smart. Some can. Uh, the, Durant totally gets it. Harden is as smart as there is. Dame Lillard, as smart as you can get. Uh, I remember talking to a player one time. I won't say who it was, but he's a player that people don't think of as someone being really bright. And I said to him, if you grew up in my Jewish household in Seminole, Florida, like you might have been a physicist. I don't know that you would have been a basketball player, too. I was. But, but the kid was brilliant. He just grew up in almost a, the opposite to the extreme of a family that I grew up. Mom and a dad and, and everyone worked and we had money and whatever. Uh, these guys are so smart. So Utah is facing a brilliant thinker in James Harden who, who you made a great point of, of saying you want to force him right. And the, and the numbers bear that out. But he's a genius at finding a way to go back left. Otherwise, he'd be, you, you, I think your numbers were 800 left and 1,000 right. It would be, you know, 1,500 right and much, yep. much lower left. Uh, but he's a genius, and so he knows how to get back to his strength, uh, which is why he's scoring the way he scores. I mean, 36 points a game this year. It, uh, he's better than Kobe as an the, offensive player. He, he just is. In, in this series, Coach, he's, um, he has 18 ISOs at the top of the key. 17 times he's gone right and one he's gone left and i don't even think the one he went left like i watched the video the one he went left was very much he was going right and then like kind of took a step left and got a foul on a three-pointer think about that they've it this is what i'm talking about with the chess game of the nba is man that regular season in many ways is checkers you know like the 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 teams are just trying to get through it they're just trying to get to the finish line and they don't have time to scout every team for for hours on the plane or in practice or film sessions. They're just trying to get to the end, right? Here in the playoffs, the Utah Jazz, the number two efficient defense in the NBA, completely scrapped, not completely, but changes their scheme and tries to push James Harden to the extreme to his right. 18 ISOs at the top of the key, 17 going to his right. It hasn't worked. They've gotten blown out into the two games, kind of embarrassing fashion. But still, Harden, even though they're doing what they're they're supposed to or what the, the game plan is, Harden is still destroying them. So I, I love that you brought up the top blocking, the top blocking. I have no idea what it is in terms of the terminology. It's all the same. It's essentially what they're doing with James Harden is I'd rather you get a runway to the rim, backdoor cut or a back cut rather than get the ball with a free look at the three-point line. So here we are in today's NBA, where it was the highest offensive rating in NBA history at 110. And one of the big reasons is the three-point shot, is that this weapon is being realized not just by the the D'Antoni Suns or by Orlando Magic, uh, Stan Van Gundy, or Rick Pitino's Knicks. The evolution is here where now defenses would rather give you a runway to the basket than have you catch the ball 30 feet away from the basket. So it begs the question for me, is this the next frontier? Is how do you guard the three-point line? And what do you think about when you see teams loading up on the three-point line defensively 
and giving away the backdoor cut for guys like J.J. Redick, for guys like Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, to cut backdoor and essentially get a free look at the rim. Or not a free look, well, but... Yeah. So yeah. First of all, it's not a free look for this reason. The, the, these teams think of, think of who's doing it. And the Nets have Jared Allen, an excellent shot blocker inside. Yep. Utah Jazz have the best Rudy, Go, Rudy Gobert. Right. The Clippers are doing a little bit of a different reason. <laughs> Curry and Durant and Thompson are, are so incredible as shooters. And and this is a big and. And I wrote about this again today for at True Hoop. Um, the Warriors are loaded with players that can't shoot or aren't shooting well in the case of Draymond Green. Uh, although I think he's picking up a little bit now. Um, and so you can, so if you're going to invite people to back cut or back door cut, uh, or in the case of, of uh, what Ruby is doing, Harden, uh, dribble in uh, with the defender behind you. So in a sense, you're playing four, you're playing five on four. Yeah. You've got to make sure you've got someone in the paint to protect. And, and so these teams can get away with it, whereas maybe, a high school or college team can't because they don't have that kind of shot blocker inside. You have to have some kind of presence. But to get back to your question, a couple of years ago, I was asked by an executive, like, like uh, people know that until at least my kids went to college, I never, I was never considering moving from here for lots of reasons. And, uh, but it was nice that people, you know, NBA teams talked to me, whatever. And so one owner asked me, uh, like, what, what would I do if I was running a team? And I probably gave the dumbest answer of all time, and I'm sure he thought it was stupid, but I don't think it was stupid. This was maybe four years ago. I said, I have the 80% rule. And my 80% rule is uh, I want 80% of my players on the court at all times to be great athletes and great shooters. And he was like, well, who doesn't want that? And uh, I said, yeah, but I never mentioned size. So uh, the, I don't care about size. I don't, I don't want five, five, six guys out there. So I'm talking about for the NBA level, if I have to play five guys that are all six foot eight and really long and can really shoot, or four or five guys with one seven footer inside or one point guard, if that's where our primary ball handler anyway, I'll do it. Uh, it length helps. There's plenty of six four guys with six eight, six nine wingspans. Plenty of them. Uh, you got to make sure they can shoot. Uh, unlike what OKC is doing right now. Uh, and so that helps if they're athletic, it means they can get to spots faster and the length even makes it easier to get there faster because they can cheat some with their, their long arms. Uh, and then you can also make them have to guard the same thing on the other end. They've got to chase you around too. So that's where I think the league is going. I, I have a kid, I got out of the NBA draft uh, uh, prep stuff for a couple of years, just to sort of focus more on my son and, and work with him. But he's going to work out with us this summer. So I've got a kid here now, just one kid. Uh, he's six foot nine with a 7'2 wingspan, and he can really shoot to three. He's not a great athlete. His name is Robert Frank from Washington State because he was 271 as a power forward as a freshman at Washington State. He's now 225, lean, chiseled. Uh, mostly him. I, I, he came here at 231. Uh, I didn't do any of that. He did it himself. But brilliant shooter, long as hell. And I said to him, uh, we, and we work him, we work him out as a primary ball handler and as a post player. And I said to him, this is where you are what the league looks like now. And we had a team come in to see him the other day for the first time, and that's exactly what he said. He, he, he can play all five positions. You can let him handle the ball against pressure, and he can post up people. He just does all of it. And eventually the whole league is going to that. That doesn't mean there's not a place for Pat Bev and Steph Curry. Uh, there are. You just got to make sure most of the guys look like what Robert Frank looks like and Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo and Paul George and Kevin Durant and all these guys. Montrez Harrell um, can play with shooters around him. He he and Lou Williams are incredible at the pick and roll as long as you've got shooters around him like Gallo, right, and Landry Shamit, because you've got to account for, for something and you've got to pick your poison in a sense. So I think that the way you defend it is with long athletic guys. You make them work as hard on the other end. And you make a really great point, Tom, I want to hit regarding the regular season versus the postseason. I like how you put a checkers versus chess. I always say the regular season is a battle of systems and talent. You put your system in and you stick with your system with very little variation. There's some variation, but very little. In the postseason, it's really about talent and execution. Screw the systems. If your system matches up badly with what they're doing, change the system or you're out. Mm -hmm. But there's no time to mess around with and have pride in your system. Utah has an incredible regular season system. I think we can clearly state that after what Quinn's done uh, the last few years, but 
I don't, I don't blame him for last year. I think Rubio got hurt in that second round because uh, I thought they were pretty good last year and they beat OKC. Yep. But you've got to have a new system ready to go against the matchup you're faced with. If their talent and their system is going to beat up your system, change systems, right? I mean, Houston's done an incredible job of adjusting their system on the fly. I mean, like a couple years ago, the the ISO wasn't a huge feature of their game, and then they completely slowed down their offense and went to ISOs and no one could guard it. And I was like, wait, what? I thought like thinking of Chris Paul and James Harden in a slow it down ISO game, like who expected that? And they turned it into just this unguardable offense, which is amazing. And And you bring up, you know, OKC, I want to get into this because, yeah. man, I think we're at the point in the NBA where it's really hard to get away with two non-shooters on the floor. You have three yep. non-shooters on the floor. Good luck. In the postseason, we're watching OKC get worked by Portland, where you have Russell Westbrook, who might be the most uh, hurtful three-point shooter since Charles Barkley. Um, yeah. We have... Steven Adams, who's got range from the foul line in. You have Jeremy Grant, who is like Draymond, where he's going to get wide open threes all the time because, look, he's Jeremy Grant. He has a high percentage right now, 39%. But as I wrote for NBC Sports today, no one guards him out there. So you might have a 39% conversion rate, but the gravity, your gravitational pull, the way the defense respects you is what's important. And they're just crowding the paint and Russell Westbrook is not efficient anymore. If he can't get out in transition, if they're not getting stops, the half-court offense simply isn't good enough to just pray that Paul George will just create off the dribble or create off the ball. It's just not good, efficient offense. And I think we're there with the Sixers where they're starting to figure this out, where they trade for Tobias Harris. Jimmy Butler's not an elite three-point shooter, but they get Mike Scott, who's a stretch four, who can knock down a three-point shot. And they're figuring out that if we're going to surround Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, we need shooters. We need shooters. And Mike Budenholzer on this podcast, he went through it. Their offense was give Giannis the ball and get out of the way. And OKC hasn't figured that out. Well, maybe they have. They just haven't executed. And it's really it's come at a crossroads here with Steven Adams. I don't want to overrate the first two games. But if you're going to have Steven Adams on your roster, I kind of feel like you need a stretch five to back him up just so that every time down the floor in the 48 minutes, they they have multiple shooters out there. Right now, they might have one. If you count Terrence Ferguson, that's one and a half, I think. Schroeder, I don't really count as a knockdown three-point shooter. So OKC has always a, a rim-running five. Steven Adams, a great screen setter, great rebounder. Nerlens Noel, no range. Same with Steven Adams. Are they screwing themselves up here? Well, I mean, look at their numbers. They, I just uh, was looking this up. We're doing a mailbag tomorrow uh, for our newsletter. And uh, the first question that came in already was about OKC. And they're shooting. I mean, they, they were bad last year. When I say bad, they were bottom, uh, bottom seven or eight this year. Same thing. Uh, actually, a little bit worse this year. They finished higher in the rankings, but lower in their percentage. I think mean, it was 35.4 last year and 34.8 this year as a team. And that's with Paul George, you know, shooting lights out for much of the year. Just to have him performed. And imagine if Robertson had played, which actually I just realized I wrote that. Imagine if Robertson had played. It would have been good for the defense, but not good for their offense unless he improved a lot. Uh, the Jeremy Grant thing is really interesting. I, I want to I make you think about this. I, I'm not arguing with you at all, and, and he's my favorite player in the world. I've never met him, but I've just – I wanted, I wanted, uh, I wanted to be a first-round pick. I thought he should have been a first-round pick. I think I was probably right saying that, but um, he definitely had some years where he wasn't shooting it great. No, his 39% now is is very good, and yep. he's incredible on defense and energy. And I, I think he's a plus for a team. However, he was 0 for 5 the other night, and he looked bad. Like something looked. I watched him shoot a lot. Something looked wrong with his shot in this particular game. Uh, but did you watch Denver play against the Spurs the other night? Yep. Okay. So you saw Jamal Murray just play terribly, right, for three yes. quarters. Yep, yep. And their and coach did a great job. And, and, yep. and Okay. Right. So I've said this so many times. Uh, it's such an advantage to, to, ha- to have that, again, I, I, you know me, I call it Royal Jelly, to have that belief from the, the people uh, in charge of playing time and, and so forth, uh, to be able to shoot your way out of misses. If I'm OKC, I'm telling Jeremy Grant, you know what? We need to take 15 threes today. Like every time they're crowding, just 
We're going to run some actions to make him commit further in the paint and just keep shooting it. We ain't going to win this series any other way, really, uh, unless you're just having some gravity effects so we can get some other stuff going. Yeah. Uh, or they never regard you and we just keep – you make you score – you know, you make eight threes, seven threes, six threes some games. That's a big, big game for him. Just keep shooting it. You know, that's what, that's what uh, D'Antoni said. I don't remember who's – it might have been Zach Lowe. I heard him on the pod this year. I love, by the way, I love that you guys can get coaches on. They're must-listens to, for me anyway. But uh, it's just such, so great to hear them talking about uh, the science of their sport and, and the art because there's both. But D'Antoni said that he tells uh, Chris Paul and Harden – if someone's going to go underneath our screens on the ball when you're a guy, when you have the ball, like you may have to shoot 73s in a game. And I, I can I can hear him saying that to those guys. And I swear to you, Tom, I think I think he's telling the truth. And I think they believe him. They know no one's going to allow that to happen. But in theory, they are they're open. And, and co- co- players miss shots for lots of reasons. Mechanically, it's hard to shoot the same shot every time. Uh, they question, is this the right shot? Is coach going to take me out? Am I cold? They, a lot of things go through their mind. But if they're empowered to just take that shot every time, you've cleared out a lot of the clutter. Harden has no clutter. Curry has no clutter. Right? Durant has no clutter. There's a big reason why. Jamal Murray has no clutter. He was given the green light to shoot when he was terrible. Yep. So Jeremy Grant needs to be given the same thing, and maybe Ferguson too, especially because don't you think Paul George, and Henry, Henry wrote about this the other day, don't you think he's a little bit injured at the very least, if not oh, a lot yeah. injured? Oh, yeah. Look at all the tape and the grimaces. I mean, he's, he's not yeah. right. He's not right. And you know what? Like, so, I get it. He's, 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 yeah, right. He can't, he can't say. It's the same reason why LeBron and Henry wrote about this. LeBron can't uh, – for competitive reasons, he doesn't want to give away that he has a broken hand or a very injured right. hand. Like this is, right. this is gamesmanship. If there was no media, if there was no gambling, if those two variables were moved from the equation, Paul George would be openly talking about, you know, or willing to acknowledge that. Yeah. I'm hurt. If the, if there was no way for the other team to know. Right. And the guy did everything all season, which really makes you appreciate not just LeBron, but Harden, uh, what he's had to do. And we know he's running this team, in my opinion. Uh, I've always claimed that energy is a finite source. It's a finite substance in a game, and then you run on fumes, and it's a finite source uh, in, in uh, a season. And I contend that for two, if not three straight years, Harden's run out of energy yep. and been terrible when it, when it mattered most. That's just my contention. Daryl might disagree, or at least publicly anyway, he'll disagree. I'm not convinced Paul George has run out of steam the way Curry did. I realize the injuries occur, but when Curry lost those games, those last three games uh, to, uh, to Cleveland, uh, it, I'm sure his knee was really messed up. But Griff, I also think Griff, he was just Griff told bad. me that they specifically – in 2016, David Griffin, the GM of the Cavs, now with the New Orleans Pelicans. Griff told me specifically, after watching him play in the previous series, they looked at the numbers and his speeds and his acceleration numbers and everything. He wasn't right. And they were going to make him yeah. work and run yeah. him through the gauntlet every single right. night, which is exactly what they did. He was running on fumes. And whether people want to admit it or not, because everything's so binary in this world that it's either Steph Curry was in the finals and he blew it, or he was in the finals and he was hurt. They won't accept the idea that he was less than 100% and everyone's less than 100%, but they had a distinct edict to make his life living hell because of what they knew, how he was running on fumes. And that takes us back to your question originally regarding Harden. Uh, I I think I wrote about this last week. You've, You've got to make him, you can't just expose him on defense in one-on-one isolation where all the helpers know what's coming. You've got to put him in some actions. He doesn't, he doesn't really want to extend himself. So you've got, to, you've got to screen him and make him make a decision. Am I going to switch on this like I'm supposed to? Maybe, maybe he won't do it because he's lazy, but the other, his, his teammate thinks he's going to because that's what the game plan is, and someone else gets wide open. Or maybe he will show, and now you get him on a matchup that you want, and then maybe you screen him again. You, you've, it's not just a physical toll, which people tend to think when you talk about this. There's a, there's a mental toll. And, and, and the, hope, the hope is that the physical and mental toll, uh, then they, they take an emotional toll. Now there's some spirit loss of the work you're having to put in. The problem is you can't do that when you're down 20 early. 
and uh, and that's that you know Houston can get to their subs a little bit more and they can they just have an e- e- it's just easy for them when they're up you got to keep things tighter or even better get a lead and then keep chipping away chipping away he's he's that kind of guy as of course as Curry is and and Paul George may just be out of gas now and if so and I I, I think you and I. I think we picked every series the same. I looked at your predictions. Uh, I had OKC winning this, and I, I probably sorry was wrong. For you. If you're picking with me, I'm sorry for you. That's not good. <laughs> Normally, I'm pretty good, Tom. So are you. <laughs> but I thought that um, I thought that I didn't think Paul George was done because they finished the season well, and I don't like the way he looks. And they're not going to win the series if he doesn't get significantly better. Yeah, um, I want to ask you: Can Ben Simmons be an MVP one day? Well, that's such a great question. Uh, the the answer, of course, is yes. He's got that kind of talent. If you were asking me to, you know, what are the odds? I would I would make it very low. Uh, I don't agree that he's working on a shot the way Brett Brown says he is. Uh, there's no evidence of it. I'm sorry. Uh, it, something's wrong. When you just now he's amazing. So you can back off him in a way you you can back off Draymond Green, but it's going to hurt you more backing off him because he can use that as a runway to go right by you, whereas Draymond Green really can't. A lot of guys can't when you back off him. He builds up speed. Tony Parker used to do the same thing. When you backed up Tony Parker, he backed up too. He, he gave himself an extra five yards and then zoom right by you. Yep. That's why he dominated the paint for so many years back when, uh, when the league was so different. Uh, Simmons can have to learn, and I don't mean just a three-point shot. He's got to, he just has to learn to shoot the ball. You, you can't just make a living at the rim. And I give Budenholzer so much credit because we see Giannis trying. And he's been trying for months now of just letting that be part of his game, even if he's going to fail. He's going to have to fail now to succeed later. And later may be in May and June, or, or it may be in May and June of 2020 and beyond. But, but if his ceiling is best player in the world, let's agree that Giannis' ceiling is best player in the world. Uh, I don't think he's there now, but he's very close. Uh, Making threes is going to get him there. Well, I thought the same thing. You know, Giannis this year has taken more threes than he has ever in his career, right? And I was like, you know what? I bet when he was 22 years old, like Ben Simmons is now, he wasn't taking threes. And that's not true. It's not true. Giannis... By the time he was 22 in the NBA, he had made over 103 pointers in the league. So he was trying yeah. from the get-go, yep. right? He might he might have had a broken jumper. It might not have been comfortable. It might not have been efficient. But he had been taking them. Ben Simmons has zero three-pointers in his career. So on paper, as basketball players, I see a lot of similarities. You know, they're so fast. They're so long. Uh, strong Ben Simmons can be the defensive player of the year. You were the first person to ever tell me that is that he could be a defensive player of the year one year in his career. And you're absolutely right. Do you think he can be? I do. But do you think so? No, no. But I'm saying the tools, like if he wants, if he wants. Right. I mean, do you think he could get there? You think you agree with me that he could be that kind of elite defender? Yes. I mean, look what he's doing with D'Angelo Russell right now. I, 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 um, I must, he's, he's Giannis in the sense that like his value on both ends is elite. Yeah. You know, he, right. and I don't think Jared Dudley's wrong when he says when Ben Simmons is yeah. in transition, he's a monster, but when you get him in half court, he's average. The game is so fast now that that's, you know, that's not a diss. I mean, he's um, in game one with Jer- uh, Jared Dudley on the floor, who did a masterful job against uh, against Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons had five transition attacks and zero points, two turnovers. In game two, he had nine attacks and he scored, or eight attacks and he scored nine points. So he was way more comfortable in that game two. I think a lot of it had to do with Jared Dudley. Maybe it just had to do with randomness and that game one was an anomaly. Game two, he was just more assertive. Whatever it is, but... I think he can be Giannis level good if he develops a jump shot. But one thing they need to help him out here is just like just like what we talked about earlier with Russell Westbrook, they need to continue to surround him with shooters. Brett Brown dropped TJ McConnell from his rotation and inserted, um, you know, lots of minutes for Mike Scott, lots of minutes for James Ennis, who's not a knockdown three point shooter. But the point is, we can't have two guys, ball handlers who no one's going to guard. We can't have two guys sagging in the paint like that. So he drops TJ McConnell. Ben Simmons has more avenues to drive. 
Um, when a guy gets a rebound, he can go get the ball, not TJ McConnell. And that's much better, in my opinion. If you're getting a rebound, and you're looking for the outlet pass and someone's deciding, ooh, should it be Ben Simmons or TJ McConnell? That decision, just get it to Ben Simmons and go. And yeah. they were so good in game two. Um, and I just think Ben Simmons could be an MVP one day. He has to develop his jumper, but they need a stretch five. They need shooters around him because if he's not going to develop that shot, uh, that half court offense is going to be ugly. They're just going to pack the paint and say, Ben Simmons beat us from the outside. This is where Golden State's going to have a little bit of an issue now without Cousins because unlike these guys we're talking about, if you want to back off of Cousins, uh, to crowd the paint, he's a brilliant bucket getter um, and was really kind of coming on. And I think Golden State was learning to rely on him to some degree. They've got a lot of non-shooters. When they got Draymond and Bogut in there, yep. uh, Sean Livingston, you know, all the, I mean, half their team yeah, doesn't you can, shoot. Ha- you can work. You can make that work because there's two MVPs and Clay Thompson. Right, right? that helps. Right, but, right. But that's a very the rare Sixers, thing. Uh, the Sixers don't yeah, really have that like luxury it. right now. Jimmy Butler's very good. Joel Embiid is very good. Ben Simmons is very good. They're not KD and Steph. No, yeah, there, there, there is no KD and Steph. They, but I, I just think it's going to have an impact for Golden State to win a championship. In yeah. Philly's case, here's the bottom line. This is, I've been teaching shooting for a living for a long time. Never taught different guys the same way. They all have, I, I, call, I say shooting is like a fingerprint. Uh, I kind of look at it as an artist would look at it, uh, a, a huge piece of granite, and he wants to sculpt it into something or, or a canvas. He's got the easel. He's got the paints. He's just going to let his inspiration decide what to do. I really feel like shooting is such a personal, natural thing. Ben Simmons hasn't found that, that coach yet to help him do that. Or first, there's something that a sports psychologist would have to unravel because I'm told that he sits around before games. I, I haven't been at Philly game in, since he was a rookie, where um, he makes threes before the game and won't shoot him in the game. Yep. No, that's, that's true. a sports psychology issue. Yep. Have you seen that? Yep. Yep. One hundred percent. And he makes them. Yep. Not yeah. not a high. I mean, he's not, he's not Steph out there, but he's actually no, no. But he makes them enough where you where I mean, listen. Jeremy Grant wasn't Steph either, and he made thirty nine percent this year. Imagine Ben Simmons at thirty nine percent from three, taking five a game. Like, it's a game changer. Just, just five a game. Not eight a game. Just five a game would work. Yep. But I just think Ben is, he is young. He's 22. He has time to get yeah. there. But it's not, it's not encouraging that he's not willing to go and take those shots. Um, yeah. What, what do you think it is? Um, I remember in Miami, LeBron in 2010, 2011, was so convinced that he could be the best player on the planet, which he was. And win a championship without having a reliable post game or a huge part of his game was going to be playing at the four screening and rolling like he was Carl Malone or getting the ball in the post and operating from there. He was convinced. And part of that stubbornness was, I think, a reaction to the narrative, the media knowing his game better than he does. And these guys are super. I mean, LeBron is an encyclopedic mind he knows i you walk up to him brian winhurst has has captured this in an article many times you walk to you walk up to him tomorrow and you say hey lebron january 2007 uh you guys were at the king's um third quarter six six play of the third quarter you remember what happened and he'll say it he'll say it he'll know the play off the top of his head he's incredibly brilliant but there's this there's this part of him that was almost like I don't want to rely on my post game or work on my post game because doing that would mean that you all were right. You all you idiots out there on your couch were right that I needed to use my post game or work on my post game. I feel like something's going on there with Ben and I don't know this for a fact, but I think from the outside looking at this, it seems like he's almost justifying idiots like us coach and saying he needs a jump shot. He needs a jump shot. He's a jump shot away from being an MVP. Like how can you be two years into this and not have a jump shot. I feel like there might be a little bit of stubbornness there. Like almost, almost you're not, you don't know my game. You're, you're not Ben Simmons. You didn't get the number one pick. You didn't get to be an all-star in your second year, rookie of the year. Screw you. You know, I think there's a little bit of that, which is I know my game better than you do. I'm not going to placate to what the masses say is right. And you know what? LeBron had a tough conversation with Spo. He had a tough finals against the Mavericks and he was humbled and he figured out 
look, I need more tools rather than fewer. I'm going to work on my post game. And he became a monster in the post. Maybe his best feature in 2013. By the end of the, by the, the peak of his powers, there was just nothing you could do when LeBron was in the post. And then maybe Ben Simmons, who shares an agent in Rich Paul, maybe they get there. But right now, I think a lot of it is just stubbornness. Well, you're not stupid for saying that, that's for sure. Um, did you hear what Paul Pierce said regarding Dwayne Wade? I'm sure you did, right? What specifically? You know, about um, that he was a better player. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that comes from the same kind of place you're talking about. That just it, it, That's what makes them special, that, that competitiveness and that stubbornness and that incredible self-belief, which is part of what you're saying, that I can do this anyway. That's why – Paul Pierce said what he said. I, I don't think he would look at the numbers on paper and, and declare it, but it's just that's how players have to be too often, I think, uh, to, to make the level that they make. Not every single player, but many of them. And so I, I agree with you. I think if I had a guess, because I don't know him, that that's what's going on in Ben Simmons' mind is, is man, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I'm this great player, whatever. And I'm just going to I don't need this. Wrong. I just got all star. But he's wrong. He's wrong. And, it's, and I like how you put it. Uh, LeBron got humbled. And uh, Ben Simmons is going to get humbled, in my opinion, this postseason at some point. And then it's either he's going to be open and swallow his pride and, and realize, hey, this is a lesson we ought to learn, or he's not, and he's not going to ever reach a ceiling, which is, in my opinion and yours, MVP. Do you have a feeling about which hand he should be using? Because Kevin O'Connor at The Ringer has written, the, written about this. He's covered this, is that he might be shooting with the wrong hand. Yeah, I don't have an opinion uh, because I just, if I, I mean, it, it would take me five minutes to figure it out if he was in my gym. I, I, this is not the first time I've, I've heard about Ben, but I've dealt with him many times over the years. Have you had a player I, who you didn't think was shooting with the correct hand? He's so talented. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, we are, sure, we fixed it. Listen, it happened to me. My dad is a, is a lefty, and so I used to copy him. Apparently, I was a child, I don't remember, but apparently I copied everything he did and was doing it in my left hand, and and for some reason, my mom thought something was wrong, and so she had me tested. And most of us use the hand of our dominant eye, right? And so I learned the test and, and figured out that I was right eye dominant. And when I played, I had a great left hand around the rim, and, and I still use my left hand, and I can catch the ball really well with just my left hand. So I'm, I, would, I am what you would call ambidextrous when, when I was you know, playing any sport. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know what Ben Simmons should be doing. Uh, I know this. It won't be hard to figure out. Uh, it's, it's a feel thing. Shooting is supposed to feel natural. It should, it's supposed to be a natural motion. If you make it super mechanical, you've already put such a big ceiling on it. And there are some occasions where anatomically a player really struggles to shoot the ball with any kind of fluidity. But most of them can find a fluid motion uh, unique to their, the way their body's built. People's tendons attach differently and their bones are twisted a little bit differently. I've just seen, you know, I've just seen so many different things over the years with shots. Uh, I just think it's important that uh, he realizes if, if I'm Brett Brown, I'm sure they're going to do this. Show him tape in the offseason of just the way teams guard him in the postseason. And then show him what it looks like if you're Kevin Durant, who's not that much taller, an inch taller maybe, and, and how much easier it is for Kevin Durant uh, because they, have to, they can't just back off him so much. Let's say I'm high school, college, NBA, playing basketball, want to take my game to the next level. I'm listening to this podcast, and I really like what I'm hearing, and I'm like, man, I wish I could work out with that dude. He seems to know his stuff. <laughs> how do, how do you, you – what do I do? How do I make that happen? Yeah. So basically, uh, we've been doing this a long time. I mean, I started my first training academy in the 90s, early 90s. And I've been working with pros since basically 99, NBA players since I think uh, 2003. And over the years, people have asked me if I could find ways to do this virtually. And it just initially there wasn't a technology, and then there wasn't time for me to do it. But because my kids are grown more or less now and, and technology is so easy, there's a way to do it. So basically we, we have uh, – my company's always been called the Pro Training Center. So you can go to the Pro Training Center, one word, theprotrainingcenter.com. And we're on Instagram at the Pro Training Center as well. And we're starting on May 1st, actually. Yeah, so we're, we're emailing people every morning. Uh, I'm emailing them directly a workout, that same kind of workouts that we do every day with our pros. 
uh, uh, ranging from everything you can imagine on a court. They're actually great fitness things as well. So we've got some adults that want to do it. I just talked to a, the father of a really good eighth grader the other day. He wants to do it as a way just to get in shape. It's normally 35 minutes or so, very intense work with the basketball. It, it helps to have a rim. You don't have to have it. We have to adjust it for you. But the kicker is we're, gonna, we're not just sending you video of what the drill should look like, but we're going to let you uh, take video of what you're doing and send it to me. Uh, we have a special Slack channel set up where you're going to be able to get feedback directly from me as to what you're doing wrong uh, in the drills. We're not going to watch your game film like I would my NBA guys, but uh, that's a whole other business we may start in a couple of years. But for now, we just want to try to give you what you should be doing each day. Quite frankly, Tom, and I know you've seen this, trainers everywhere, and people say that I'm the first guy to do it. I have no idea if it's true for money. People have always worked with players in terms of development for their team. But I started doing it as a business in the 90s, and I didn't do a bunch of cones and whistles and just all the crazy stuff I've seen. Everything I do is really basketball game-specific, and that's what our drills. We do very little props of two balls or whatever. It's what you see in a game, and we actually have footage from all over the world of guys doing things we want you to try to do in our morning workouts that we mail out. And then you're going to tell us, you know, either ask me questions regarding, hey, I'm struggling to do this. You know, we want to just be interactive with people, uh, help them through the college recruiting process or help them with transfers if they're in college already or AAU and all of that. There's just a lot of parents who are clueless and they're not getting the help they need. And we think my staff and I feel like we can help them. So go to the ProTrainingCenter.com or, or hit me up on Twitter at Coach Thorpe. Uh, or Instagram at the Pro Training Center, and we'll uh, we'll get you signed up. I can't wait for athletes to start learning how to defend behind someone. <laughs> I mean, that's where we're going, coaches. They're going to send in, hey, my son's uh, guarding this guy like he's James Harden behind him, and letting letting him get a free red carpet ride to the to the to the basket. Man, um, thanks so much for coming on, coach. And uh, I I'm sure there's going to be more three-point evolutions here. That's just how the NBA is. But uh, the first week of NBA playoffs have been really fascinating for those who watch the game like you do uh, and that, that I do and everyone else who just is a fan of the game. It's really fascinating stuff. So thanks for coming on. Uh, you can find his work at truehoop.com, at Coach Thorpe, protrainingcenter.com. Uh, thanks so much, my man. Miss you. I uh, love you, Tom. Thanks for everything, bud. All right. Thanks, man. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast. I want to thank Coach Thorpe for coming on. He's an old friend, big Seinfeld guy in case you want to do a trivia night and it's Seinfeld. Uh, make sure he's not in the room. He will beat you. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this Haber Show podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your buddies at the random pickup game. Tell everybody. Until next time on the Haber Show. <laughs>